If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11 as we go through the Bible. And uh, again, many fears out there. You know, you got the uh, coronavirus, you got the uh, Pomona and the San Bernardino virus out there as well. Um, but you know, when you stop to think about it, our lives are in God's hands. And um, I personally believe from reading the scripture that you are basically indestructible until God is done with you here. This we find not only with the two prophets in the streets of Jerusalem during the tribulation period and when their ministry was completed, that's when they were allowed to be killed. Listen, I don't believe anything can harm you until God is ready. Remember Moses going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. You know, a lot of people have wondered, why didn't Pharaoh just say, Moses, you're arrested, in prison you go. But God's hand was upon Moses to protect him to do what God wanted him to do. And I believe that God has you, myself, protected under his anointing until God is finished with us. The Bible oftentimes will say, when their testimony was completed, See, that's one of the things that God, the work that God began in you, the Bible says he'll finish. And I, I really believe that as we look at life, we have to realize where does your hope lie? Where does your protection come from? And again, when we realize we want to be smart, that doesn't mean we just go up and stick our face into somebody that's hacking and losing a lung. We want to be careful. We don't want to just sit there and, and tempt fate. But at the same time, I'm not, and we as Christians should not live in fear no matter what is going on in the world. Why? Because we have a higher calling than existing. The world exists. You are called for eternity. And we have to always remember that. One of the things when we read the Bible is this. God started it all. God's going to finish it. And the thing is, what's great, when you become born again, you're part of God's finishing team. The problem oftentimes comes when people with no purpose in their life, in other words, I'm just born to exist, uh, he with the most toys when he wins dies kind of thing. Uh, uh, th- this is, uh, this is the, the philosophy of the world. This is not the philosophy of the Christian. So again, when we see all these things, you go, hmm, that's interesting, but God's got a higher purpose, higher calling for you and me. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, as we read these words, may your Holy Spirit cause your word to come alive, and Lord, that we would truly be able to say, I trust in you. And so God, as you call Abraham, as you call our names, to be about your business. May we be obedient and may we trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's go to chapter 11. We touched on this last week briefly, but we want to go back over. This is the notorious story of the Tower of Babel. There's a lot of discussion on why they decided to build this tower. But one thing for sure, we know that Nimrod was the instigator of it, and Nimrod was a was the um, well father of mystery Babylon. It's it's interesting that in this place where this was located in Shinar or in the land of Babylon, um, Nimrod was a hunter of men, and he made this big tower. 
And it was to reach into the heavens. Now, some people believe that it may very well been to build in case there was another flood that this uh, tower would be a refuge to go to. Some believe it was a place of worshiping the heavens. We know that Nimrod uh, commanded everyone to worship his mother. And of course, the rumor was that Nimrod was immaculately conceived and uh, that uh, Nimrod was gored by a wild boar. And three days later, he came back to life. And you have this fake Christianity or this fake message that has permeated the religions of the world. The Bible, as we talked about this last week, we get into the latter part of Revelation. It says Babylon, the mother of harlots. What does that mean? All false religion has one basic uh, thing in common, and that's to take you away from the real message of who God is. Now let's read this together. Chapter 11, verse 1, Genesis. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Not hard to, to comprehend because we all had a common ancestry from Adam and Eve. This is one of the reasons why evolution to me is so totally ridiculous. That all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, the baboons shaved off all their hair, we all became truck drivers, and now here we all are. No, that didn't happen that way. Because if you think about the progression of evolution, according to what they say, the billions of years that's needed, throw out the diameter of the sun and the moon moving away from the earth or uh, the earth's orbit a couple inches a year. So in other words, theoretically, if you go far enough out there, we would eventually lose our moon because it would, it would move far enough away from the gravitational pull that we would no longer have a moon. But you start looking at all these things. But you got to realize that is evolution is, is working. It doesn't work in stages. And this is one of the great problems. So you have evolutionary things happening all over the world. But it doesn't happen today, and that's the big problem. And again, I shared this many times when they say, oh, we have all these species going extinct. You are a hypocrite. If you're worried about that, because if you're a true evolutionist, if you're a true atheist, Bernie Sanders is an atheist. He's Maybe he prays to Fidel Castro, I don't know. But he, everybody prays to something, friends. Everybody's got some hero and when evolution is your idea of how we got here, that is your hero. And when you stop to think about it for a minute, the, the years that are needed for evolution to take place and for human beings to somehow came about all of a sudden, when you look at all these, it takes more faith to, to not believe than to believe. I got to tell you one thing about evolutionists, they are people of faith because their faith is in nothing. Your faith is in the God who made everything. And that's what I think is so important. God started this all from Adam and Eve, but they say, well, there was many different uh, uh, sources of, of beginning, such as, again, think about it. You have the evolution of you have the evolution of, of animals and human beings and all these things. Well, these create all kinds of problems when we look at it. So again, evolution, there's a great DVD I have that's available for anyone here that would like it. And it's called um, 
Evolution versus God, it's yours. If you'd like one, you just come up and get it. Great for evangelism. Lend it out, get it back, give it to somebody else, get it back. And, and uh, it's called Evolution versus God. Great, great movie. It completely debunks all these ideas that they come up with. And so it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, <clears throat> they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which is the area of Babylon, which is present day uh, Iraq. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they used asphalt for mortar. Again, shows that there was oil in the Middle East, and and so people picked up on this as they read the Bible, and sure enough, that's where a lot of people got rich. Verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, this is one of the things that God told uh, Noah and his family after they came out of the ark, go be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So they didn't want to do that. So they all wanted to be in one place at one time. So it says, the Lord came down to see the city which, and the tower which the son of men had built. <clears throat> and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and all they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, and I think it's really important. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's God's will. And this is one of the great problems I have with the positive confession movement and some of these other ideas that have infiltrated the church, that if you just say it long enough, believe it long enough, blab it and grab it, you're going to get it. Well, I believe that there is an element of truth to that, friends. Not because God did it, but because you were given by God in the beginning to be able to create. I I look at this as a very important part of understanding the human nature. Because the thing is, though we can do a lot of things, doesn't mean that that is God's will for us. You can spend your whole life chasing your tail only to get to the end of your life in regret. This is one of the problems. Uh, You look at people who can't find no satisfaction. Well, why is that? Because they are doing what they believe will make them happy. It's not till we become a Christian, we dedicate our life to God, that God then says, this is why I put you on this earth. This is why you look different than everybody else on this earth. You've never, there's never been anybody like you ever before here. There'll never be anybody like you ever again. So do what I tell you to do, and you'll find satisfaction. I like that. And again, as I said earlier, once that purpose God has for us is done, whatever it is, hey, I'm happy to go to heaven. I was in a Sunday school class years ago, and a man said, the most important thing is for a Christian to get to heaven. And I said, I got a question. I said, the most important thing for us to do as Christians is to serve God. Where else would a worn out Christian go? Well, when you stop to think about it, friends, the most important thing is for you to love God, dedicate your life to him. Heaven is already yours. If you're worried about whether you're going to go to heaven today or not, you need to get born again. 
Because you don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because God's good. Your faith is in him. He's what qualifies you. He's what gives you the ticket to go to heaven. Well, you see, God, I got this little printing press in the back room, and I've been printing up these things to get into heaven. No, God gives you the ticket. Anything I make, you would make to get into heaven is what? A counterfeit. We don't approach God in our righteousness. The Bible says no good thing dwells in the flesh. Have you lived long enough to figure that one out yet? Even when you do good, have you noticed evil is present? You do something good, somebody comes in and say, oh, that's good. You go, I know. Why is that? Because it strokes our ego. We can do things, and even though we, our intention is good, you'll find sometimes it ends up backwards, upside down, and inside out. The amazing thing to me is that God is bigger than the inside out, backwards, upside down of our life. God takes those things and fixes them. And again, I've shared this many times. If God isn't fixing your life, who is? You say, well, I don't need to be fixed. Yes, you do. Because the thing is, life is bigger than us. And one of the things that you'll notice in life if it isn't bigger than you today, I guarantee you it will be, and it will be soon. We think we're doing good, we're cruising, we got it all figured out. Hey, I got this little spot on my... I remember a girl in our fellowship years ago, she went to the doctor, she had a little black dot on her leg. Little, little black dot. And the girl goes, I don't like that black dot on my leg. She goes to the skin doctor, the doctor goes... Oh, I think that's a, that's a melanoma. We, we got to take that off. Oh, how serious is it? Oh, it's not serious. It's a little, uh, you know, minimally evasive surgery. Uh, you'll have a scar about a, a half inch long. So she went under the knife. She woke up. The, the, the scar on her leg was about 12 inches long. And that black dot had roots that had wrapped all the way around her bone. And they had to cut all that out. You see, we think we got it all together until we get a black dot in our life. Because these black dots have roots. And those roots grow around all kinds of things that we never knew existed. Well, here's the problem. Man gets together and they said, well, we're going to make our own religion. Nimrod head, you be our king. This is basically what Genesis 11 and 10 is about. You be our king. Nimrod, the great hunter of men, literally, and he was a hunter of evil. And he creates this world religious system. And they have a big tower in the middle of it, possibly to worship the host of heaven. And as I said before, maybe to climb up in it if the floodwaters came again, not believing what God said about the rainbow. And they have this thing, and, and they're all doing this, and they're all of one language, and they all have the same purpose, and that's to do what they want to do. And God says there's nothing that they have purpose that they cannot do. By the way, something else you might want to notice. Come, verse 7, let us. Now, I think this is interesting. In my Bible, the word us is capitalized. I believe this is speaking of the Trinity or going back to Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Elohim in the original Hebrew is the plurality of God. It's not singular. And this is one of the great problems a lot of people have. Now, 
The rest of the Bible tells us who this Elohim is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It isn't up to individual interpretation. Well, Elohim is, is Zeus and Hermes and, and Buddha and, you know. No, no, no. The Bible tells us who Elohim is. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So if we want to read it literally, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth. And then God said, let us make man in our image, all plural. You're a triune being. Again, always remember that because people have asked about that. And the thing is, you're a body, mind, and spirit, okay? It's great when they all work together. When they don't work together, you have chaos in your life. You have addictions in your life. Your body says, I want drugs. Your body says, I want booze. And it doesn't matter what your brain, the brain says, stop drinking. You're going to wreck your car. I don't care. I want booze. And what happens? We find this dichotomy going on inside of us where we have this war. Paul says, where does wars and fightings come from among you? He's speaking to the church, but you know, friends, you can bring that into a personal level. When you have this inner turmoil, that's why we don't really experience peace in our life as a human being till we surrender our life to Christ. Jesus said, you must be born again. The spirit of God comes in and straightens it out. You need to be straightened out. Like I say, people go everywhere for advice. Look at the internet. It's full of it. You ever watch TV and call Zelda the psychic hotline and for only $29.95, she will tell you your fortune. I will tell you your fortune. Call me. They got the number down below. Well, if you are so psychic, why don't you call me? If you know I got a problem, you call me. If you're so tuned in with the spiritual world, you'll know who my phone number is. Call me up. My phone is right here. You wait. You call me right now. Zelda, give me a call. Zelda was not going to call because she's not really tuned in. But she is tuned into your wallet. But that's another whole topic. The point simply is this. People look for information. They look in this day to a religious system, the Babylonian system, sponsored by Nimrod, mother of harlots. They have this tower, and God says there's nothing now that they imagine they cannot do. Come, let us go down from here. Confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building their city. Therefore, the place is called Babel because the Lord confused their language of the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Amazing story. This is where um, most all linguists believe that we all started somewhere with the same language and it, it just eventually broke off. But there's not really a clear definition why we all have different languages. I think God did that. Now, I've shared that before. Acts chapter 2, God used language to separate people. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues brought people back together. How is it that we hear all of these men in Acts chapter 2 speaking in our hometown dialects or our languages? And it talks about the, the different languages that are mentioned. Now, when we get into verse 10, and by the way, just to, just to give you a, kind of an update here on time, 
It was 1,656 years from from Adam and Eve to the flood. Now, 427, we find the beginning of Abraham. 2,000 years. So the earth is about 2,000 years old. It's been through a flood. We find the genealogies leading up to Abraham, and that's what verses 10 through 26 are about. We'll just, I'll let you go through and wrestle with those wonderful names. You know, the Hithites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, the Termites, all that. You know, you can go through that on your own. Verse 26, though, is important. All the verses are important. It does give, give us a timeline. But one of the things that especially, verse 26, this is the beginning of the promise. This is where God singles out Abraham. This is the first mention of Abram in the Bible. Verse 26, now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, we don't know necessarily if these names are in order because of age because of some things that Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 concerning time and genealogies, or whether it was listed according to importance because of of Abram being the one that God... In this book of Genesis, this book of Genesis covers a a little over 2,000 years. Yet one-third of this book of Genesis is dedicated to Abraham. So it kind of shows you how important he was. And what God was going to do. Now, by the way, as we read, you're going to see that Abram, though he was considered the the patriarch. uh, In fact, in in the New Testament, they'd come to Jesus and they'd say things like, well, our father Abraham taught. Like Abraham was the sinless guy that could do no wrong. Well, as you study scripture, you're going to find he did a lot of really crazy stuff. The point is, is not that he does crazy stuff, but it proves that God uses crazy people to do his work. There's hope for me. Hope for you. What I'm saying is God doesn't look for absolute perfection for those that serve him. If that would be the case, nothing for the kingdom of God would ever be done. A lot of times we think, well, you know, God, as soon as I get to this level, some churches teach this doctrine called sanctification. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. The word in the Bible for the word sanctification basically simply means set apart, okay? Well, I believe the day you become born again, you're sanctified because that's the day God sets you apart for his purpose. But there's church doctrine out there that floats around that after you're a Christian a lot of years, maybe 10, 15 years, you get to this level of sanctification, which means you come to this point in your life where you no longer sin. <laughs> I've never met one yet. A guy named Charles Spurgeon, well-quoted uh, uh, minister, a uh, turn of the uh, previous century in 1900s, he, he uh, ran into a guy that believed in sanctification. Uh, and he says, well, this guy said to him, he said, I don't sin anymore. And Spurgeon, the, 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 the story says, he, he reached over and picked up a pitcher of ice water and poured it on his head. And the guy flew into a rage, and he goes, you know, anger is, uh, is sin. Uh, he said, I thought you don't sin anymore. You, you see, the problem is none of us would sin in certain times, but the thing is, as long as we're in this old shell, this body, that's why you sin. 
That's why you do the things you don't want to do. That's why Paul says in the New Testament, as sinners, I am chief. I, w- not, I was chief. He says, I am chief. Why? Because this thing is weird. You know, you, you think about it. Why do we do what we do? So, we don't know. You, you actually ask your kids, why can't you just be in the same room and not try to kill each other? I don't know. It's true. They don't know. We don't know. Why did you do that? I don't know. Have you ever said that? Seemed like a good idea at the time. Have you ever said that? Well, it's because it probably did. And this is where we get into trouble. Well, I was in a hurry. I had to speed. And, you know, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. So all the blue lights came on. And, you know, see, that's the problem. Well, you find that Terah, verse 26, lived 70 years, begot three sons. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. Now, you remember Lot. His wife got turned into a pillar of salt. That's a little further up here in the book of Genesis. We'll read about that in a little bit. Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham and Nahor took wives of the name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, which means contentious. And the, always be wary if you're single here, if you marry a girl whose name is contentious, you got issues in your life, you know. What's your name? Love to fight. Oh, that's a lovely name. (laughs) I don't know how these people could name these kids some of these names in the Bible. But I've told you this before, but a lot of times names had a lot to do with the person. And and sometimes it was almost a prophecy for the kid. Uh, And and, and you understand that, that, that sometimes. So he says... And Haran died before his father. Uh, so in other words, uh, he had three sons. Now he only has two. One of them's dead. Uh, Abram and Nahor, the other two sons, took wives. And again, uh, Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. And Sarah was barren. She had no child. Grandson, uh, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son, Abraham's wife. And they went out from them, from the Ur of the Chaldees, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And so the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, uh, very quickly, let's, let's look at this up close, because it takes a little bit, because you're going to find out something about Abram that maybe you didn't know. The first thing is, it says, Terah took his sons, Abraham, verse 31 again, uh, his wife, Sarah, and the son, Abram's wife, and they went out from the Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. Why were they going to the land of Canaan? Because of this reason, let's go to chapter 12. Now, the Lord had said, if you like to underline things in your Bible, underline the word had. It's important. The Lord didn't already, t- just, just now tell him, for the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. We got that? So God speaks to Abram. Abram, get out of here. Now, God does that sometimes, especially when we really sell out to God, sometimes when we become born again. 
I've had people, especially back in the, uh, uh, the early 80s, 70s, I had people that I know that accepted the Lord, and their parents were mad. They said, why don't you, Junior, go eat drugs and drink like everybody else? You're into this Jesus thing. <laughs> well, it just goes to show the hardness of people's hearts. Sometimes you have to get out of Dodge so God can use you. Sometimes you have to literally leave your old worldly friends behind so God can use you. Why? Because those things, those people, those, those habits and things can drag you away from what God wants you to do for him. Now, again, remember the chapters and verses were placed in the Bible by the translator so you could find your favorite Bible verse and, and, and chapter in the Bible. But it was all read as one. So it says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country. Well, Ur the Chaldees, Abram loads up the truck, said, California's place ought to be knowing. He said, he said you, you got to leave. You got to get out of here. This place is filled with idolatry. In fact, if you go to, I think it's uh, Joshua uh, 24, something about that. <clears throat> it says how this area and, and these people were, were idolaters. And sometimes you've got to get out of it. Now, if you're struggling with something right now, maybe you're, you're, you're in, a, in a home where, where uh, pagan things are going on, you might need to get out of there. Don't feel that you've let God down or not trusting God because sometimes in the case of, of uh, Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came after him, sometimes the best means of God's direction is a good pair of tennis shoes. The Bible says that Joseph ran away from her. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're cowered out. It means you removed yourself from the place where the danger is at. That's okay to do that. Well, God said to Abram, get out. Now notice some couple of things here. Get out from your country, from your kindred, and your father's house. Let's back up. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, verse 31 of the previous chapter, the son of Haran, the daughter-in-law Sarah, and his son Abram's wife, and they went out from them to the Ur of the Chaldeans. Oh, hold it, hold it, hold it. His father is going with him at this point. That isn't what God said to do. Uh, Abram, you're bringing your problem with you when you do this. And so it says, on their way to Canaan, along the journey, they came to this kind of a nice valley called Haran. Evidently, you can text them back and say, why aren't you in church? How's that? Um, I don't know who, whose phone that is. It's, it's all right. Uh, anyway, so the thing is, they're on their way. They're moving. They're moving. Let's go. They got the, they got the camels loaded up. They're all going. All the little chain going along. Hey, we're going to Canaan. We're going to have a good time when we get there. And we're on our way. And we're going to have a good time. And they come to, uh, coming through a valley. And this place is called Haran. And, and, and it sounds like his father is the one that said, Hey, let's stay here. This is a nice place. You know? They got water. They got this. got that. got everything. It says they tarried there. It wasn't until his father died that he continued on and came into the land of Canaan. 
Now, what I'm saying is this. You can get... So, was Abraham obedient to what God said? Partially. But when you're partially obedient to God, there's a restriction on the blessing that God can bless you with. Okay? So remember that when God tells you something, he tells you because he loves you. He knows more about the situation than you do. Now you might be saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I've been, I've been dating this, this, uh, this girl or guy and they're not a Christian and they're really nice, you know, and, and stuff. And, and, and I really feel like, you know, I can not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. I, 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 but, but they're really nice, you know, and they go on and on about this. Well, the problem is, is that, yeah, you can marry that person, but you're going to have trouble in your life. Because the Bible tells you what is going to happen down the road. We tend, as human beings, to live for the moment. Go for the gusto, okay? The problem is, we don't see the future. God does. That's why one-third of the Bible is prophecy Two-thirds of that prophecy has already come to pass. God knows more about tomorrow than we remember about yesterday. And God says, if you continue down this road, you're going to hurt. That's what happens. So he says, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. By the way, that's why God takes the dross out of our life or the things that don't belong So that when he multiplies us in whatever our ministry may be, whatever God wants you to do, he doesn't multiply the the dross, the the junk as well. Uh, God gets rid of that. Then he, he, he develops what he wants to do in our life. So he says, get out of your country from your kindred. Why? They were idolaters. God knew that that would be an influence in Abram's life. So he said, you need to get out and get far away from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and your, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the beginning of the Jewish nation, friends. Wow. God knew it all along. Now, through, G, through Abraham's lineage came Jesus. And all the nations of the world have been blessed because of what Jesus Christ did for humanity. When you look at this, God just singles him out. Now, notice something else here, important. And the Lord said to Abraham, had said to Abraham, after Abraham had done many charitable deeds and given away all of his money to the poor. No, it doesn't say that. God just singled him out and says, hey, as a matter of fact, I'm going to do something great in your life. You know, a lot of people, they think, when I get to heaven, have you ever had anybody ask you this? When you get to heaven, what are you going to ask God? Yeah, God, what happened to that half-inch wrench when I was working on that engine? I don't think you're going to care about stuff like that. By the way, that's why I got about a dozen half-inch wrenches. I might be able to find one. Um, I'm so organized. Um, But I think the question that we're going to have when we get to heaven, we look at God, we're going to say, why me? Why did the gospel make sense to me that I would accept Jesus as Savior? 
God presented the gospel to everybody in the world. For God so loved the world. That's everyone. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God, why me? Well, you know what? I don't know why it is. I think God really wants to choose everybody, but will you choose him? That's the question God said to Abram. Not because Abram had done anything fantastic. It's just God says, hey, Abram, want to join my team? Jesus said that to the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what, is the, what does the, the law say? He says, all these things I have done since I have been a child. Jesus looked at him and said, one thing you lack. Boy, I tell you, what a day that would have been. Imagine God looking at you and saying, you know, there's only one thing you lack in your life. (laughs) Yeah. See, today, if God was, Mike, there's about 50,000 things you lack in your life. But God looked at Abraham, the rich young ruler, and said, only one thing you lack. Sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. Now, the Bible says this guy was a rich, young ruler. He had the three things everybody wants. First of all, he was rich. That's good. Number two, he was a ruler. That's good, too. But he had it, and he was young. See, a lot of times you get money, you can have power, but you're usually older than dirt. But he was rich, young ruler. He had all of it. And Jesus said, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. What is he saying to him? I don't care about your wealth. I don't care about your power. You see, because the money is what brings the power. Come and follow me. And see, that would mean sacrificing your youth too to something else other than what I have right now. The Bible says he went away sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus then said, how hard is it for a rich man to go into the the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Wow, why? Because we trust on our money. We trust on our stuff. That's what this guy's doing. He forsook being forever famous in being a disciple. Jesus didn't offer discipleship to everybody he met. Remember? You know, remember when he... He cleansed the lepers. And he said, go show yourself to the priest because according to Old Testament law, only a priest could declare you to be cleaned. But he didn't look at the, the, the lepers and say, come be one of my disciples. Jesus didn't offer that position to everybody. He offered it to the rich young ruler. But because he was very wealthy, he walked the other way. See, what holds you back? What keeps you You think, well, God wouldn't pick me. Yeah, he would. I look through the Bible. That's what I see is God picking people that, to me, should never be picked. There's great hope for you. Great hope for me. And see, that's why I know that God, who begun a work in you, is going to finish it to the day that he comes. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to get right with God. You're going somewhere for advice. I don't know where you're going. I don't know if you're going to Sister Luan and her crystal ball. Or you're going on the internet. Or you're going to your friends. But you're going somewhere to get insight because that's the way we were designed. But you need to be going to God. The Bible says what blocks our communication with God is what calls sin. And the Bible tells us Jesus takes away the sin. 
and restores the communication. And as I've shared so many times, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It ain't religion, friends. Oh, look what I did. I crawled up the Sistine Chapel on the stairs on broken glass in my bare knees. God says, I don't care. I bury myself up to the, up to the top of my head in the Sahara Desert where just my little head is poking out of the sand. As a sign of total humility, God says, I don't care. I sell flowers in airports. I wear orange. I wax my dog regularly. It doesn't mean anything. That's religion. That's what they're selling out there. Mother of harlots, Babylon. God just says, I want to put, hold you in my arms. Walk with you in the cool of the evening like I used to do with Adam and Eve. That was lost. God says, I want to restore you. And now, because I walk with God, I can ask him for advice. I can pray to him and say, Lord, show me what you want me to do for you. I know that anything else I do is never going to bring any satisfaction. Show me what you want me to do. I may not understand what you want me to do, but I just want to be guided by you and do it. Aren't you glad God doesn't have to give you a whole expose of what he wants you to do? He just says, do this. And then as you look back over your life, you go, oh, I see why God, you wanted me to do that. That's faith. That's walking by faith. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I feel sorry for you because you have nowhere to go. You're asking people as blind as you are for advice. That's why you get into the circular reasoning thing. You you go to God. God says, hey, I I got something really good for you. Would you spend a couple minutes a week or a day to find out what it is? You know, this morning we have communion. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I believe that communion is so important in that relationship. Because first of all, the cup reminds us of his blood that got rid of the sin so I can talk to God. But the bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Referencing himself to manna in the Old Testament when the children of Israel left Egypt. That bread of life. Peter says that by his stripes were healed. They broke Jesus' body. Peter says, so you and me can be healed. What do you need to be healed of here today? Think about it for a minute. See, that's why I'm saying I don't care about the Pomona virus or the coronavirus or downtown LA virus or anything else. Because I know that God's hand is upon us. And if it's upon us, nothing can do anything to us until God's done with us. Hey, great. I don't live in fear. If you live in fear, not foolishness, but fear, it'll paralyze you to do anything. Jesus said, by my stripes, you're healed. What do you need to be healed of? Does your body need to be healed today? Maybe you got a black dot on your leg. It's kind of worrying you. Maybe you can't sleep at night because of your memories. Maybe you're, you don't see how you can be loved. Nobody's going to love me. I'm in love. Maybe your ability to love is gone too. I don't even know what love is anymore. I'm scared of love. Went through two divorces. I'm scared of love. I don't know. There's a lot of things. The bread's for your healing. This morning, I invite you, as we have communion, let God heal you, restore you, remind you you're forgiven. And if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray right now. And you could ask Jesus into your life. And then this will make sense.
If you're not a Christian, communion is worthless. Why is that? Because you're not his. The blood did not cover your sins. You've never asked God to cover your sins with his blood. But we're going to pray. And if you want to get right with God, you're tired of running to everybody in the world but God for your advice. Let's pray. If you're listening on the internet, if you're around the world, wherever, this goes for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So now I want to be about your business. What time I have left is yours. Make me the best I can be for you. Father, I commit my life into your hands. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for eternal life with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.